welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Well, hello everyone. It's time again for another episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. Uh, it's just uh, it's just really been fun uh, doing these episodes and putting this podcast together. It's exciting to see the growth. It's exciting to see uh, you all comment and, and share it on uh, different Facebook groups and you know, other platforms there, just having discussions. So I really appreciate that. That that means a lot to us to see uh, to see people respond uh, positively to uh, our efforts. Well, before we get into our interview, I want to just give uh, some quick updates. Uh, As you're hearing this podcast, if you download it on the day that it came live, it would be July 3rd, so a day before uh, the 4th of July, which is our Independence Day for all of us Americans. Uh, You Canadians, you kind of get what's going on there. Um, uh, Our friends over in England, uh, our, our British friends that are listening to it, yes, we are still celebrating treason 200 years later. (laughs) <laughs> my grandmother was British, and uh, she actually she moved to the United States uh, after the war, after the war, and she loves Independence Day, or did. She's uh, she's no longer with us, but she loved Independence Day, uh, even being British. Well, um, as you get around the July Fourth, you know that's kind of a benchmark um, uh, on the farm. You kind of get an idea of okay, how far are we? It's almost like uh, halfway in a marathon. How far are we? Uh, are we uh, reaching the goals that we want to reach? Do we have, uh, have we met all of the needs? Uh, are we where we need to be? And I always find myself uh, saying, no, no, I'm I'm very, very far behind. <laughs> and that's the case still this year, but I guess that's uh, what keeps you on your toes. Um, sitting out here right now, actually on the front porch, I don't know if you can hear the subtle rain in the background, but uh, we are still dealing with some rain. But it's uh, it's been a uh, a good summer so far. Uh, we'll actually take some time off. Um, actually, as you're listening to this, we'll be uh, on the road going up to our our camp that we have in the higher elevations, the higher mountains of West Virginia, where we uh, will enjoy the holiday weekend with uh, family and just uh, be relaxing and enjoying the cooler weather and the higher elevations. We also like to go. Uh, it's tradition that we go to uh, a farm called White Oak Farm. Uh, and it's up in a place called Rennick, West Virginia, and they have uh, like 40 acres of uh, blueberries. And uh, actually, no, it's a 40-acre farm with 20 acres of blueberries. And we go up there to blueberry pick. It's a pick-your-own setup, really neat um, setup. Um, Max, the gentleman that runs it, is just a really nice guy. We actually did a video detailing his setup, how he, he runs his blueberry operation. It's his sole source of income. And we did uh, post that on our YouTube channel. If you want to check that out, I'll put a link to that down in the show notes. Um, speaking of our channel, uh, we do have our homesteading channel called Red Toolhouse Homestead. So if you're interested in things um, broader than the pig topic, we we obviously discuss pigs on on that as well. But we're we're broader and uh, document what we have going on here in the uh, foothills of Southern West Virginia. So check that out if you're if you're interested. Well, as I mentioned, we'll dive into our interview. I want to give a little intro into uh, to our guest today. April Prusha is with Dorothy's Range, and that's in Wisconsin. 
And she's got a really interesting story. I, I hope you all will enjoy this uh, discussion as much as I did. She is a vegetarian turned pig farmer. And she'll get into the details of that, but uh, kind of the overview for health reasons, she decided to turn um, turn away from the vegetarian diet. She needed to have more calories. She needed to have more intake there. Uh, so switched to an omnivore diet and decided, hey, if I'm going to eat meat, I'm not going to, I don't want to partake in the factory-raised CAFO process. Uh, I want to be responsible for my own protein source there. So it was really neat how she decided to do that and take that step into raising pigs. Um, she raises uh, GOS uh, for breeding and for uh, production and for finishing. She and her partner are working diligently in an area of prairie restoration um, on her farm and discusses that in detail with us. It's really interesting to, to hear what's going on there in Wisconsin. Um, she also offers on-farm stays, and she takes some time to discuss um, the value-added services that she brings to her farm with those stays and with something she calls fair-to-fork catering. So uh, we'll not uh, give any more of the secrets away there. We'll dive right in and let April uh, tell us the story. Okay, I'm excited this evening to have April Prusha from Dorothy's Range uh, on our podcast tonight, and we're going to talk about her setup and operation that she has. Uh, well, welcome, April. Thanks. Good to be here. All right. Well, um, okay, so where is Dorothy's Range geographically? Uh, Dorothy's Range is in the Driftless area of southwestern Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Okay, so you guys probably get a little bit of snow up in that neck of the woods then. We sure do, and the pigs are okay with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, well... Tell us a little bit about um, about Dorothy's Range and kind of, if you don't mind, go back as far as you you, you dare and, and kind of tell us what got you into uh, into farming. Oh sure, that's that's big. You you're daring me. Um, uh, well, um, been doing pigs for about eight or nine years. Um, prior to that, I was a vegetarian. Um, did the CSA farm organic um, bedding plants, managed yeah, 40 acres of a vegetable farm, and then um, kind of found my way to this part of Wisconsin. And um, for health reasons, I uh, decided to not be a vegetarian and thought, well, hey, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. And if you want to do it right, you just kind of do it yourself or you try to do it yourself. So that led me to just getting a couple feeder pigs, and um, I guess that's where the pig adventure started. Um, yeah. Uh, what does that bring up for you? <laughs> so yeah, so that's that's interesting. So um, wow, there's there's several things to unpack there. Uh, so yeah, so the vegetarian, how of um, so health health issues, and, and I've heard that multiple times. In fact, I've heard it multiple times this hmm. week. Uh, different different conversations, and I think it was more of a, a vegan going from a vegan to a omnivore wow. diet that uh, there were some health <laughs> health issues there. So uh, so when that uh, realization came, that uh, was it was it your was it your doctor or some or just you know, kind of something inside said, hey, maybe maybe if I tried incorporating uh, some some meat into my diet, this could help. Sure. Well, I was farming, and as we know, farming is very uh, labor-intensive, um, especially organic farming. So um, uh, just to have enough calories to keep me going, um, 
uh, I was anemic and really wasn't getting enough B12. So that was told to me from um, my doctor. And um, I've always, well, not always, but um, for quite some time have been very uh, health conscious. And um, I knew there was nothing wrong with eating meat. I just didn't like the way that um, meat was being produced. So it was just a matter of um, seeing how the right way, uh, meeting some local farmers and seeing that that it's okay. Um, So, uh, and and then there was also the allergies, like, um, you know, not being able to, being sensitive to gluten and having dairy sensitivities and having inflammation issues with um, legumes, which is a go-to for a lot of uh, vegetarians and vegans. So it was kind of a matter of needing calories and needing calories from sources that I wasn't allergic to <laughs> or sensitive to. So yeah, yeah, um, that's that, kind of where it all started. Yeah. Well, excellent. Okay. Well, I, I love that attitude. So it was, it was a, an ethic, an ethical uh, raising practice, the ethics of, of why you were kind of staying away from meat. You discovered health issues moving over to, to raising those. And, and I love the fact that you say, well, you know, why co-op this? Why send this out? Let's, let's do this ourselves. So, so you decided at that point, okay, I'm going to start producing my own protein. Why did you pick pigs first? Um, that's, yeah. Uh, well, I had another farmer friend that we did um, CSA vegetable trades and fruit trades with, and she was raising um, pigs. And she kept telling me, her name was Kristen, and she kept telling me, like, hey, I think that you guys really enjoy pigs. Like, you should raise pigs. <laughs> like, these pigs are, they're just a hoot to be around, a joy to be around, and they're tasty. You should think about raising pigs and she just kind of planted that seed um and from that point um yeah we just kind of went with that I'm not I I was raising chicken already I feel like chicken's kind of the gateway animal I was raising chickens just for for eggs and thought well hey um pigs you know you don't have to raise them for years like cattle and um so that seemed more doable and so that's kind of how it all started. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like that. That's that's we can relate to that. Chickens are definitely the gateway animal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so what um, what breed did you start with, and and why did you go in that direction? Sure. Well. Um, um, my partner and I, he's an ecologist. I'd like to consider myself an ecologist too, but um, probably not as much so as he. Um, uh, we. Um, when we decided we wanted to raise pork, um, we wanted, there were several things that we wanted from our, um, our pigs. Uh, we didn't, we wanted delicious meat. We wanted to help a heritage breed and we wanted something that was light, um, on the earth. And, um, so we came up with a spreadsheet of, of our like criteria and we started checking them off and um, our number one pig that came up was the middle white pig and um, they're not even in America. So we kind of got shut down pretty quickly. We started making phone calls looking for the middle white pig, um, which is an excellent grazer and pretty light on, on the earth. Um, so then next came up was the large blacks. And um, so we, uh, decided that we wanted to try the large blacks, and then um, we came up to the come came up to the barrier of oh wait, there's not really a lot of large back, blacks around here. So we ended up um, traveling down to Missouri and picked up our first 
three pigs, feeder pigs from Missouri, um, two of which were large blacks, and um, the other one was a large black mixed with a, a GOS, a glass shower we thought. Um, and we did that in our little station wagon, Toyota Corolla with a dog crate in the back. And, um, I think it was about a 15 hour trip, um, there, uh, 15 hours back. And wow. that was our first introduction to pigs. <laughs> Had to drive with the windows down for a while, I assume. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's warmer when you go south, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I laugh because I, I did the exact same thing. I brought three pigs. Of course, I didn't have a 15-hour drive. I had a one-hour drive. Nice. That was, that was almost <laughs> too much to bear. Between the squealing and the um, the odor, it, it definitely uh, it definitely made the road trip a little longer than I expected. It breaks you in. It breaks you in. <laughs> it does. It quickly shows that if you're going to commit to this, you're going to have to commit to a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, excellent. So those three that you started with, were those uh, were those gilts? Were those sows that were pregnant? Were there any of them boars? Um, two, um, two castrated boys, barrows, and then one, um, the large black GOS was a, was a, was a gilt, um, which I didn't even know those terms when we started. So, yeah. um, yep, that's what we, we ended up with to start with. And then, um, we really enjoyed them and kind of noticed the difference between the two of them and decided, hey, um, after we had butchered the pigs, uh, just felt like the area, the space where they were, you know, you go to go back up to the pasture and go to their little paddock and um, it was just empty. You know, there was no there was no life there after obviously after we took their lives and we were eating them for our livelihood. <laughs> um, but uh yeah, so that was um, we we decided that we we wanted to um, not have to travel to Missouri often, and uh, we decided we we wanted to go ahead and get a breeding pair so that we could offer other people in the area um, pigs of this, this breed. And um, yeah, so then we went down the following year and picked up a breeding pair, Excellent. large blacks. Yeah, so you've been uh, you've been breeding from that same pair since or of course it's been eight years you, you probably have gotten new, new yeah well um well we we really like that mix too that large black gos and we got our breeding pair and we thought well you know our boar he needs to have more work than one lady so um the first litter that um he that they produced um roxy and pretty boy were the first of our adventure for a breeding pair um we picked up a, a gos uh a gilt up north and added um, so that our boy had two two girls to um, hang with. And then after Roxy's first litter, we um, traded a gilt for another gilt from another farm. And so then we soon had um, three girls for our boy and just kind of started working from there. And then we've transitioned, actually. Um, we found that, I mean, we loved large blacks, but um, we started to have, um, uh, I guess, we were impressed with how the GOS were as gracers and how um, they were, how our Dottie girl, our first GOS, we were really impressed with um, her mothering capabilities and just even her efficiency. Like uh, I was running a CSA garden at that point and um, she would go straight for the vegetables, you know, really quick after, after feed. So we liked that um, she had that, that piece of part in her. So 
she was a great grazer, a great mother. And so then um, slowly we started to um, kind of phase out the large blacks and um, actually realized that there weren't any GOS breeders here in Wisconsin or in Iowa hmm. or really in the Midwest. So that was our next um, our next mission was just to kind of help the breed out, um, get more people uh, familiar with the GOS and just bring them here and have them available. No, oh, excellent. We had mentioned this a little earlier, but maybe let's let's unpack that to to some degree. So the GOS um, not really in that area as much. How have you had to make any certain adaptions or any special uh, uh, allocations for for having the GOS in in your climates in the winter? Absolutely not. No, they are awesome. Um, well, the first one that we got, uh, Dottie, she came up from up north. And, um, and then we got, uh, one from down South and another one from Ohio, but no, I feel like because, no, they're pretty hardy. I think, um, they have a nice bit of back fat on them. Um, yeah, no, they're just a hardy pig, just like the large blacks. Um, maybe they don't get, um, they're, they're more prone to get sunburn and, and we live kind of in the prairie, so they're, um, more prone to getting sunburn than the large blacks, but definitely no problem in the winter. They're, they're nice and fatty and, um, beautiful nest makers. Um, so no, no, no problems there at all. Excellent. In, in your experience with the GOS, how long are you seeing, uh, how long is it taking to finish out the GOS to, to what you would consider your market weight or your processing weight? Sure. That's tricky. Um, definitely, um, less than a pure large black and we started off with mixes you know the large black gos mix um and the mix of course had the hybrid bigger uh they would definitely feed out um sooner but i'm not your average um i don't i i like to grow them slow i like to really utilize pasture i really want um those omega-3s and the vitamin d in in my animals and that red marbled meat so i take them over 300 pounds which of course is you're not going to do in six months like the traditional um pig at 250 pounds six months um so uh it kind of varies uh because we do spring and a fall litter most of my fall litters are what i uh, produce for pork and the spring pigs i sell to other people that want to that are wimps and can't have <laughs> no pigs through the winter. That's right. So that's kind of how I figured out my market. Um, and to be honest, we haven't had a lot of um, GOSs that we've finished out, pure ones that we've finished out because um, I've, always, I've, I've been selling them and we're just um, selling them as feeder pigs and breeding stock. Uh, we've had a couple and I would say um, 300 pounds, nine months. That's yeah. where we're at with the GOSs, and there's definitely some wiggle room in there. Yeah, well, that's not bad for a, for a, what's technically considered a heritage breed. You, know, you hear some of the heritage breeds take uh, 12 months to 18 months, depending on uh, on the type of breed, but that's 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 not bad at all. Sure, and the large blacks, um, I did I would uh, raise them for 12 months to get them up to that 300, and I don't do um, unlimited feed either. I do rations. Hmm. I, I want want my pigs to graze and if you just give them candy all day they're not going to go out and eat their vegetables that's right <laughs> yeah it adds a little element of labor to that but I, yeah i agree that that definitely makes their Heck diet yeah. more diversified mm-hmm. 
Well, let's um, let's talk about your setup for a little bit. So, um, so with your your hogs, how many do you have? Um, would you say on average uh, throughout the year, would you have uh, on farm? Um, that's <laughs> always fluctuating. I would say um, uh, six to eight um, sows and um, a boar or two, and then of course with that comes the their litters, and um, so that fluctuates. You know, when I have five sows that have litters, I can have a hundred pigs and that, you know, when, <laughs> when they're all born. Um, so yeah, that fluctuates. Uh, I, pr- I harvest about, um, 15 pigs a year, 15 to 18 hogs a year. Hmm. And then the rest, uh, you're selling, uh, for people to grow out themselves. Say that again. And so, and, and the rest of those then are the ones that you're selling for people to raise themselves. I assume. Exactly, um, breeding stock and feeder pigs. I have a huge. Um, yeah, I just can't keep up with the demand in the spring. I, I, so many people want feeder pigs in the spring, and they want the heritage, and and more and more people are becoming familiar with the GOS, and and they want them. So I can't keep up with the demand. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So. Um, so with with five sows um, that you that you have that you breed, and you said it's spring and fall farrowing, so um, so all five sows you're 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 breeding them twice a year. Mm-hmm. Yep, as long as they participate. Yep. <laughs> okay. What what kind of what kind of litter are you getting out of out of those sows? Uh, it depends. Um, this year I kind of changed my uh, feed rations, and I think that really. Um, that, that changed uh, their litter number, but um, anywhere from seven to twelve. Uh, we had some record break breakers this year. We had one. Uh, Sally had eighteen, and I think Mountain Mama had fifteen or sixteen. They weren't all born um, alive, but uh, I, I added baleage in this year, and I think it uh, it did it spiked my numbers. So uh, something I'm kind of trying to study and figure out how and why, and if I want to keep doing it. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. That's good. So, uh, your setup. You talked about. <clears throat> excuse me. You talked about your pastures. Um, a r- rotational process, I assume. Yeah. Um, yes and no. <laughs> it depends um, on the season, how much rain we're getting. If I need to break it up, um, and then I have permanent paddocks down here, um, down close to the house. So, um, I do rotate the fall feeder pigs um early like I just moved some pigs up to the pasture and um they're just in one area now but then I will expand that uh last year my intention was to rotate them through had 13 feeder pigs in one one particular area and I thought I was going to rotate them and create four paddocks and we had great rains and the pasture was looking really good and I didn't want to have to mow it so I just they just manage it themselves and they did a wonderful job. So um, my intention was to rotate it, but there was no need. I was pretty land rich and, uh, and green rich with, with the rain. Well, yeah. And, and, and if the, the GOS doesn't, uh, doesn't um, root and doesn't uh, destroy the, the pasture as much as, as a conventional hog would, then, then yeah, there's really not a lot of, uh, not a lot of detriment to your ground to have them in that one spot. That exactly. Long. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I have uh, 
Mine are Duroc, so they, uh, they're they little bulldozers at times. So <laughs> we have to keep them moving. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, I, it's, it's always fascinating to kind of visit other farms and see how it can look different and manifest into something different. Yeah, I was looking at uh, some of the pictures on your website, and, and um, maybe we'll segue into this. Uh, just some, some beautiful pasture land, it looks like, relatively flat, uh, rolling. I would I would say in West Virginia, I would say it's extremely flat, but uh, I, I assume it's probably <laughs> more rolling looking at the pictures. West Virginia, everything's vertical. But um, So on your website, you talk about this, this uh, pasture regeneration efforts uh, or, or prairie regeneration efforts. Uh, mm-hmm. Talk about that a little bit, if you don't mind. Um, it's, well, um, if anything, anybody knows anything about, um, prairie restoration, it's a, a really long process, um, to restore the prairie, but, um, uh, there's all sorts of, um, strategies that they use out West with, um, burning and grazing cattle and really utilizing, um, animals to eat cool season grasses. Um, so, it, so there's, a place in space for um, the warm, the native prairie warm season grasses and forbs so they can see the sunshine and they can um, get that soil to seed contact. So we're basically, um, there's a few areas that we're uh, trying the pigs out with that. Um, and even to the, even to the point, there's some areas where they do break up the sod, you know, the quack grass and, hmm. and the smooth brome. And, um, and when they are moved off of that area, um, interseeding that with um, warm season grasses and um, and forbs in the fall. So that's something we've been kind of playing with. Um, it's a long process. So um, I'm actually, there's one area that I feel like um, next year we'll really be able to see if, if, um, if it's working. Uh, there's one area that we did three years ago. It's been three years since they've been on um, a very large area. Uh, we had... Um, the density was really low and um, we have quite a few um, like little blue and side oats coming up. Um, but it's hard to tell if the pigs helped with that or if the burn helped with that. So I think uh, in the next couple of years, it'll be interesting to see um, this one particular paddock that I've had them on and off um, and have been interceding a lot of uh, different natives in. So uh, we have um, uh 70 acres, and I would say that um, 60 plus acres are um, set aside here for uh, ecological restoration that are um, basically being restored back to um, it's the native native ecosystem. So, wow! So that is that in, in conjunction. So you defined uh, that uh, that specific acreage to saying we're going to do this process. Is that uh, something that's uh, with any type of uh, foundation or government assistance where you're, you're kind of dedicating that and, and there's outside influence there? Or is that just something that you all do internally and say, hey, this is what we're going to try and we're going to go through these processes? Well, it started off as um, a group effort uh, with myself and um, Steve, my partner. Um, he actually does ecological restoration he has a business he does uh, prairie restoration removes invasives and um you know he's doing prairie burns right now in the spring so um this definitely came up um initially from him and uh since um our pork uh, since we started raising pigs he's kind of backed off of of uh of being involved in the pig production he's 
picked up, he has you know, more employees now and is kind of more committed to <laughs> ecological restoration. So um, it's kind of shifted. Um, in the beginning, it was it was his idea, and um, we figured out a plan to make it make it happen. We looked at other models, like I said, how they do that out in the West with cattle. Um, and then since then he's kind of backed off and there's a few pockets that, um, just from what I've learned from him over the years that I'm applying, um, those bits and pieces of information that I've gleaned from him and his practices that I'm implementing in. And I also feel like there's, um, (laughs) there's, uh, just even little bits and pieces that I've learned being a gardener and understanding, you know, what, what weeds behave what way and then how the pigs are going to um, uh, relate to those weeds like lamb's quarter and pig's weed and you know I don't need to worry about those and they actually are advantageous to me in restoration efforts but not velvet leaf because they won't eat the velvet leaf but actually velvet leaf only an annual and it's not really that aggressive so it's like all these parts and pieces added together but it definitely started with um, Steve and and his passion for uh, prairie restoration. Oh, wow, that's great. That sounds extremely interesting. Um, I, again, that's something I know nothing about with uh, prairie uh, being here in the Appalachian Mountains, but that's that's really interesting. Sure, sure. Well, and the more I learn, you know, the um, out west, there's areas where they're finishing cattle off on big blue stem and that big blue stem has um, a value like a 16% value in protein. Um, so, you know, there's, a, I also feel like there's potential of even um, utilizing and using native uh, plants rather than these invasive plants that were we farmers typically are always introducing, you know? Yeah. I was going to say, do y'all uh, encounter any autumn olive out there in Wisconsin by chance? We do. Yeah, actually. Um, yeah, not right where we're at, but just, you know, uh, 30 miles away. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. That seems to be, that's taking over quite a bit of the old farmland in our neck of the woods. I wondered if that was as invasive as it, as it is here. Do the pigs like it? You know, what's really interesting, they do, um, okay. especially when it, uh, some will, will produce berries and, and when they produce fruit, um, I've seen, mm-hmm. I've seen my sows just completely ride a bush over and, you know, they've got some, some nice little spiky, <laughs> spike, uh, spike thorn elements on it and, and they'll just ride it down and then just, just, just wail on it. So anywhere that I have pigs access to pasture and, or, you know, we're more of a woodlot then they, they take care of the autumn olive. It's the areas that I don't awesome. have them, uh, that, that it's taking <laughs> off too badly. Cool. Yeah. They, they clean up everything. Well, let's, um, Man, there's so much neat stuff that on your website that uh, I want to get into. And, and while this is a, a pastured pig podcast, I, I love the discussion we have with our guests about the value-added services on their farm that aren't directly related to pastured pigs or maybe indirectly related. And I think you have some of those here looking through the notes. So let's talk about um, your Farrow to Fort catering a little bit. Sure. Um, well, actually, that started off. A couple of years ago is something I'd been wanting to do just so that I could um, uh, present pork as I, I think it should be, you know, not draining off all the fat and having, you know, it not being overcooked and, and that sort of thing. Um, and there's a group of um, women farmers that I'm 
basically in my farm hood that uh, have an annual event called uh, the Soil Sisters um, Tour. And uh, it's, it's a weekend event, and um, I kind of got peer pressured into doing <laughs> um, the farm-to-table component um, that weekend. And so um, I got my license and became all official so that I could uh, partake and, and, and be that um, the chef, I guess, for the um, Soil Sisters weekend. So since that took place, um, I do that annually now. I think um, this will be my fourth year, and um, and I also do you know just some small you know, twenty to thirty people, um, just little gigs here and there, um, just where I can feature. It's it's all local. I try to have a local theme. It's not just my pork, but that's definitely um, the star on the plate. Um, uh, last year, actually had uh, at the farm-to-table dinner for the soil sisters. I really wanted to um, show folks maybe the less common part of pig of the pig. Um, I always like to educate people. I don't um, I don't think very many people know how big a tenderloin is right, yeah. on a pig, or <laughs> you know. Um, so I actually had a hog, a roasted hog head on on the table for the appetizer and uh, did a few different cuts and really promoted lard because I feel like that's something that's been lost um, over the last 20 years and, yeah. and we really need to we need to praise the lard the lard is our local oil here and um, if it's raised right it's healthy exactly. so um, kind of want to bring it back like we brought back butter you know mm, uh, butter yeah. was we were cussing out butter for so long and now it's butter's back so let's bring back the lard <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of lard. I, I, we 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 render we render every year. Good, good, yeah. Okay, so um, so that obviously introduces people to your pork. Uh, obviously, it gives you an opportunity. I assume when you when you're doing that on farm, uh, some of those events are on farm, then that's a revenue uh, generator for you. So that helps kind of kind of feed the habit there, as far as uh, the farming elements go. Yeah, and, and an opportunity to educate people and teach people about um, the importance of, um, you know, eating local, choosing heritage meats, and um, small farms. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see a lot with with your your customer base there? Do you see that disconnect uh, that that seems to be so prevalent now, where people just are so disconnected from their food, they just just don't understand some of the basics? Heck yeah, yeah. Um, well, we do um, farm stays too, and. So many times, I, I love the questions people have. I just love the questions. Um, they're great questions. Yeah, people people have no idea how long it takes for an animal to be, be raised. You know, they look at an, an animal and they don't, they, they, they see, you know, we have some uh, two-week-old pigs on the ground and they're asking if they're five months old and just really, um, really simple questions. Um even just the fact that we have, you know, chickens out here and, and people don't know that chickens lay an egg, like chickens ovulate every single day. And, and the fact that a, a pig can have 12 babies in 114 days um, and that 98% of the pork, I think that number is still accurate, 98% of the pork um, produced in America is uh, of a factory style um, and that when they visit our place and they see our um, facility and um, our pastures that were the other 2%. Like, and that's pretty, it's pretty, um, 
pretty neat to see and connect people with for sure. Yeah, it is interesting. I, and I like what you said there about you know, really enjoy the questions. And, and I would agree that it seems that that people ask questions and sometimes they're, they're pensive to ask because they think, well, I think this is going to be a dumb question, but you, you want to encourage <laughs> them to ask it anyway. And one of my favorite, yeah. uh, one of my favorite interactions was a, a, a customer that wanted to buy a whole hog off of me. He wanted to have it processed, but he said, I want, I want it all to be bacon. Uh, that's, that's my favorite. Mm-hmm. And so I just want a, an all bacon pig. <laughs> and, and I just remember he just, he was serious as anything in the conversation. Yeah, buddy, if I could raise an all bacon pig, I'd be a millionaire. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. But then you teach people about up the other cuts and they don't, they, then they don't want it to be all bacon. You know, you get a good shoulder roast and you don't want to give that up for bacon. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. We had a we had a, a get together one time and brought out some jowl bacon and uh and let everybody try it. They loved it. And of course afterwards we told them exactly what it was. So it was it's it's fun. Yeah, it is. I call that top shelf bacon, you know, because it I used to be a bartender and you know, you got your top top shelf liquors and no, oh, that's right there. It's right on the top of the yeah, <laughs> exactly. top shelf bacon. Awesome. Well, um, you, you touched on it briefly there. Tell us a little more about Farms Day. So how do you accommodate people coming out to the farm and, and spending a couple of days with you? Sure. Uh, well, we used to um, be landlords, and uh, we had two. We have two, uh, two different um, living quarters. Well, we have three different living quarters. We live in one. Um, uh, Steve's mom, um, Dottie, that's where Dorothy's range comes from. Is, uh, Dorothy, Steve's mom, uh, she moved to... Florida, and since then we um, we were landlords, and then we started to Airbnb out our our space, and yeah, people will come out here and stay for sometimes it uh, sometimes it's just one night, sometimes it's you know a week, it's their whole vacation. A lot of people from Chicago, a few people from Milwaukee, but most people from the city. They just want to get away. Uh, they want to check out the prairie. They want to see the pigs, and we have a couple of cool breweries and in the area. So, um, yeah, it doesn't take much. I mean, all they need to do is see those pigs and piglets and see the chickens uh, free ranging, and and um, we always toss some eggs in the refrigerator and and have some pork in the freezer if they want to buy pork to add to the bacon. I mean, if they want to add some bacon to their eggs. Yeah. Uh, um, so uh, that's kind of the gist of it. Um, Do you put them families, to work? Um, well, <laughs> people think they want to help, but <laughs> right, <yep. laughs> I don't know. You know, like occasionally carry a bucket, collect the eggs, and then there's always like, oh, pigs are really physical. Like they're very physical animals, and you know, I'm a buck ten, but I know how to hold myself when I'm, you know, wrestling a, a bucket of feed. But I can't expect that from from uh, our guests. Right. But uh, definitely give them that feeling that they're they're def- they're helping out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, invite them over on castration day. And say, here we go. <laughs> oh yeah, good idea. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Well, um, one other thing in the notes here that I, I really want to uh, talk about is um, apple finish. You you had in your notes that uh, that. I didn't know if it was an on-farm cidery or a local cidery that you're using to take advantage of supplementing some of the feed for your pigs. Uh, sure. I have um, some friends um, that just opened up the first hard uh, cider tap house in Wisconsin. 
and they have like 12 different ciders on tap and um, they press their apples and um, they deliver them over here and I feed them to the pigs and then um, those pigs are processed and I sell um, brick cider, the cider house, I sell them back the ground pork that has been finished on their um, apple pressings. And uh, it's pretty magical. And actually, they just opened up their facility um, this year. And I was like, "Can I work there for a little bit? I want to, I want to throw out these bratwursts and tell people that they came from my pigs." And um, so that's been fun, and um, and a good amount, like I've uh, a good amount of apple pressings. I wasn't sure if two if the pigs would figure out, you know, what to do and what to not do. Um, but last year, I actually. Um, I went down from two feedings a day to one feeding of grain, rations, um, unlimited pasture, and then my second feeding would be just all apple pulp. Oh, wow. and, um, yeah, yeah, it was nice. <laughs> yeah, I think I love that. And that's, my goodness, you couldn't ask for anything more to have it delivered to your front door. <laughs> I know. Yes, yes. Excellent. Well, that's, Special. yeah, no doubt. And that, I mean, that's that's got to improve flavor. That, there's all kinds of good stuff coming out of that. Yeah, an apple a day, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so the the hogs that you finish, um, what what are your distribution methods? Are you are you doing any wholesale? Obviously, you're you're working with the uh, the cidery there. Are you doing any other wholesale? Are you selling retail? Are you doing on farm sales, online sales? Sure, I don't do online sales, but um, I um, I show up at the farmers market, so I really like that. Um, connection with the the direct connection with the customer another reason I wanted to sell the bratwurst at at Brick Cider Um, I have a pretty good account now with the cidery Um, I have um, Camp de Bella they're a farm to table um, farm not too far from here and they were overachievers when they first started they thought they needed to grow everything from the farm to table uh, wine house Um, and since then they've gotten rid of their pigs so they buy their pork from me um, and then, yeah, just selling off the farm here to the, um, the farm stay guests and farmer's market. And then just people that know me, you know, friends from Facebook or just friends in the community, um, just kind of hop out to the farm and buy a pork package. And that's kind of, that moves a lot of pork. And I have an amazing, um, when I'm not selling lard for food, um, I have a friend that makes the best soap ever she makes a large soap um i've helped her out a few times but um yeah i also sell uh large soap which is just amazing yeah oh, excellent other well i know we didn't we didn't talk we kind of skirted around it but uh since we're kind of a pig podcast but you you are a polyculture when it comes to other animals and, and, and things you have on the farm correct well i just have chickens yeah um worms the compost yeah and then you have a certain yeah. element of, of, of veg too so do you do you do some uh, uh, veg sales at farmers markets as well with your with your pork um the uh my my garden mostly supplies myself and then um the farm to table food um and then uh i do offer my uh farm farm stay guests uh 
you know, a bouquet of kale or collards or basil and tomatoes and a zucchini to add to those eggs and bacon that, um, that they have in their refrigerator and freezer. So um, it's kind of evolved into there's not enough to sell at the farmer's market. It's just kind of stays here. <laughs> That's right. You got to keep the good stuff back. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, April, what, one question I like to ask everybody is what is your best experience or your favorite part about raising pigs on pasture? Um, to see how much they love it and how they're just so in their element. Um, the joy that, you know, pig has when it gets to run, you know, they want to run and they enjoy running and um, seeing them in the wallow, just, just to see that joy because I feel like we are what we eat. And if we're eating animals that we need a little more joy in the world. So if we're eating animals that um, just radiate, you know, happiness and joy, then we're just going to be in a better place. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Do you, do you find when, when people come out and they see, they interact with a pig, are they surprised about the personality that the temperament a pig has? For sure. Yeah. And that they're affectionate. Like people are always surprised like that, you know, there's this, this big animal and if you scratch its back it, you know, the pigs get into it, they'll wiggle their, their backs around and, yeah, people are very surprised. And just that to see them run, they're, you know, and we have lop-eared pigs, and to see a lop-eared pig run is a little different, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. People definitely, uh, so many people never seen a pig before, you know, and it's like, how often do you eat pork? Like, how can you, you know, I, I like to make that, that, that connection too. Like, how often do you eat turkey? How often do you eat chicken? Why do you, don't you, why aren't you questioning that you don't see these animals? When you leave the city, you should see them everywhere if you're eating them every day. So, yeah. That's great. Absolutely. Well, April, if if people want to find out more information about your farm and your setup, uh, where can they find you? Um, You can just search me, uh, Dorothy's Range in Wisconsin, and I do have a Facebook account. Um, I try to be kind of savvy with um, technology and such. Uh, but it's not always easy when you're, you know, out in the field and hanging out with pigs and at the farmer's market, but definitely, uh, find me at, um, Dorothy'sGrange.com. Excellent. Excellent. Well, really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us this evening. I enjoyed it and, uh, we'll have to come back around and, uh, and talk to you later on in the year and just see how things are going with the uh, prairie restoration process as well. Yeah, yeah, pictures with flowers too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, well, thanks for thanks for your time and thanks for uh, yeah, just getting the pig juices going with me. That's it's always fun to talk pigs, so I appreciate that. Thank you. All right, well, take care. See ya. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to thank April again for taking the time to talk with me. I really like talking to producers that are offering value added services on their farms. Um, it's just, it's just a good business sense to have these extra services. They can really supplement your income from time to time. It can keep you from having all your proverbial eggs in that one basket. Uh, So I I know that's not necessarily directly in line with pastured pigs, but I think it helps the overall production if you have some of these value-added services. And, uh, yeah, we use that term a lot, value-added, but anytime you can take 
a product that you would sell in bulk, like our pork. You know, a standing pig is a is a pork product or is a bulk product. But you can take that as far as as catering uh, somebody's party or activity with pork that you've raised. Then you can see how you can can really add value to that product that you're producing, and and obviously generate more revenue from that. Well, I'm I'm excited about uh, the interviews we have lined up here in the next couple months. Uh, as you all may be aware, I I do interviews in batches, so we we do a bunch of them, and then of course uh, parse them out uh, weekly now. And we've just had a really good, really great response to people uh, wanting to come on the podcast and discuss uh, pastured pork with us. Uh, and it's really neat to see what we have in the future. We have coming down the pipe. We have uh, a guy that took pigs to New York City to be on the Stephen Colbert show. Uh, some of you may know who that is already. A guy who has a mobile processing business in New England and talk about the nuances of of processing mobily up there. And we also will have David Crafton on again. We've we've heard from him already, but we're going to have him back on to talk about specifically about breed choice, how important it is to to choose the right breed for your pig operation. Well, if you get a chance, uh, if you like the podcast, please give us a rating. Uh, that really helps uh, the podcast gods find us and and promote us to others, and uh, gets us out there to be seen. Uh, if you feel so inclined to write a review, uh, please take the time to. Type a little note to let us know what you think of the podcast, and we'd appreciate that. And again, we just appreciate everyone communicating uh, the, the, the positive uh, responses they've had to listen to the podcast. Okay, take care, everybody, and have a great holiday. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com. 